Ah, enough of that, Jackie. We're here for God. <laughs> Not for you. Tigers had a loss. Did they? Oh, did they? Oh, did you play? Oh. <laughs> I'll tell you who we played. A team, a team that is so high on self-esteem they gave themselves a chicken for an emblem. <laughs> really? Really? Gosh, at least we had a tiger. It's tough. A chicken? Anyway, doesn't matter. They're a foundation club. Been around for a while. Moving on. Lord, I just pray, uh, God, this morning, Father, I pray you would open up our uh, hearts and, God, open up our ears to hear uh, what you want to say to each of us here today, Father. We, uh, Lord, we love coming here. God, I love gathering with these people. They're great people. Lord, I love uh, the morning tea is awesome. God, the, 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 the friendships are great. But Lord, I, I, I really want to meet with you, God, and, and, and we gather here, God, for more than just that, Lord. We want to hear from you, God. We want to see you. We want to understand you more, uh, better. And so, Father, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, just open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes. Speak to us in a language that we understand and do in our hearts, each of us, what you have ordained and what you want to do today in our life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'd been, um, we started a few weeks ago looking at Psalm 103 and looking at uh, what David writes down and describes in his own words as the benefits of his relationship with God in his life. Psalm 103, we don't know what's going on in his world, but he stirs himself up. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's speaking to himself, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget his benefits. Now, God brings good things into our life. God brings great things into our life. Uh, matter of fact, the, 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 in this book here, it says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, that, that our Father's a loving Father. We know that when we look at the cross, when we see Jesus being sacrificed, we read John 3.16, For God so loved the world. That world is me, the world is you. God loves us. The Father's motivation is love. He, Jesus went to the cross. He was not motivated by trying to aggressively deal with the evils of sin. The heart motivation of the Father was love for us. And to express his love for us, he had to deal with the evils of sin. But the motivation was love that the Father has for each and every one of us. God loves us. He's mad, crazy, in love with us. Uh, and that's the gospel message. That's the good news. God is not angry with you. He loves you. And he's made a way where you could not make one for yourself to come back to him and to be in relationship with him. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we uh, forget the goodness of God. And in the midst of the ugliness of life sometimes, we get down. Or maybe it's just me. We get focused on all the rubbish and the yuck and the negative stuff, and I get down, and I find myself like David at times, having to shake myself into gear and go, hang on a second, Alan, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, Alan, come on, get out of the pit. Alan, bless the Lord. Don't forget the great things that he's done for you, is doing, has done, and will do. Don't forget 
the benefits, forget not his benefits. And I sometimes shake myself out of those places of despair and down here. And the way I do that is by refocusing not on my current perhaps negative situations, but looking to the goodness of God. What has he done? Every testimony I've ever had in my life, I draw back on those things. When I go through difficult times, I go, well, hang on a second. I've got a testimony in the past where you've done it before, and that gives me faith that I can have a testimony in the future that you're going to do it again. You're going to get me through. You're going to take me out. The Bible says, though we walk through. David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say I set up a tent there and I camp there and I stay there. He said, I'm going to walk through it. We're going to get through that valley. And you know, maybe you feel like you're in a valley of death right now. Well, David would encourage you and say, you know, keep walking. Just keep walking. I know it might be dark and you might be bumping into walls, but you just keep on walking anyway because it's a valley and you're going to come out of that valley eventually. It's the valley of death, but notice it didn't kill him. He just walked through it, but he came out the other end. And sometimes we can be like that in life. We need to remind ourselves of the goodness of God, remind ourselves that there are benefits, there are things about my life, there are resources I can access, things that flow through me and come to me that are different to those who don't have a relationship with God because they haven't joined the club, so to speak, yet. They haven't got access to all the benefits. They haven't purchased the ticket that's taking them not just to the destination, but providing them all the goodies that come with the flight. The free slippers, the blankets, the nibblies, the the nuts, the free drinks, all the great things that go with the journey. It's not just about the destination, but the ticket included, a whole bunch of things on the way. And so David's shaking himself, going, I've got to remember that. Sometimes I've got to remember that. Yeah, life's tough. Yeah, things are happening. But you know what? Every day there are great things that God is doing in my life, through me, in the world around me. And I want to, I want to learn to, to focus on some of that stuff. I want to learn. It's not about denying the reality and the existence of the problem, but it's about not letting the problem be bigger in my vision than the answers. Because when I let the problems get bigger than the answers, that's when I plummet. That's when I go down in a big way. But when I remind myself, God, the answers, the power of God to answer these problems, to overcome these difficulties, is way bigger than the problem or difficulty itself. When I keep the balance that way, then I can not deny the existence of that, but I don't get overcome by it. Because I know there's a way, there's a way forward. And this is what David's saying. He's saying, don't forget the benefits of God. So we've been talking about some of those benefits, and last week we began to talk about the very first benefit. And David says, who forgives all your sins. Forgive some of your sins. Forgive the little ones. Just, you know, the easy ones. The, the easy peasy ones, the ones that not big consequences, didn't matter. It doesn't say that. It says that God forgives all. And it's an interesting word, that word Greek. That word all in the Greek. You know what it means? All. There's a little bit of Greek for you right there. You can write that down, right? The Greek for all means all. All-encompassing everything. God has the capacity to forgive every single sin you have ever committed and ever will commit. Not only does he have that capacity, because of his love for you, he offers and extends that invitation to us so we can walk in freedom. Without dragging guilt and condemnation and shame behind us, he sets us free from that. That's our God. Isn't that good? That's good news. That's really, really good news. So if you've got no other piece of good news you hear today, you just heard probably the best news you're ever going to hear. And if you react like that to the best news in the world, I'd hate to see you get a bad mail letter. That's good news. It's good news. And so there's three aspects I wanted to talk about over the last week and next couple of weeks about forgiveness. There's three things. 
where God's power involving itself in our world helps us with forgiveness. One, and we talked a bit about this last week, was one, the ability to receive the forgiveness of God, that God forgives us through what Jesus did on the cross. No more sacrifice for sin. Nothing else has to be done. We don't reach forward. We don't stand in a moment and reach back and try to find some religious duty, some way that we can sacrifice like an Old Testament system to get forgiveness. No, no, I've got forgiveness. Even in the midst of my failings, I have forgiveness. I don't beg and grovel. I fall short. I know straight away that was a mistake. And the first thing I'm doing is raising my hands and praising God, saying, thank you for forgiveness, Lord. I don't need to grovel. I don't need to drag chains. I don't need to prove anything to you. I just need to receive. Thank you for your forgiveness. Forgiveness from God. The other two aspects of forgiveness that I want to talk about, uh, next week we want to talk about forgiving others. Forgiving others. God empowers us. And gives us the ability to actually forgive other people. Not only does he empower us to do that, he calls us, he challenges, he commands us to forgive other people. And, we, we, and, and sometimes that's not easy. And within our own self, it's almost impossible at times to do, but God made a way. It's one of the benefits of following him. He empowers us and he gives us the ability to be able to forgive other people, release other people. But what I want to talk about today is the meat in the sandwich. And it's forgiving yourself. Forgiving yourself. I mean, you know, it's one thing. To receive forgiveness from God for the mistakes and the things that you've done. God let you off the hook, if you want to put it that way. He didn't really, because it cost a lot for you to be forgiven. But God says you're forgiven, and that's one thing. But another thing is letting go of it yourself and forgiving yourself for the shortcomings and the failings and the things that you've done in your life. Forgiving others, forgiving ourselves. It sounds really easy. But a lot of us still live under the weight and the guilt and shame and regret of past mistakes and wrong choices. It's easier to forgive other people because other people don't live in your head. Other people aren't reminding you every day about what you did. They're not, they're not painting pictures every day when you open your eyes or when you go to a certain environment or you hear a song or you see a person. But you live with yourself. We've got to learn to forgive ourselves. We've got to learn to let go of that stuff. You know, in uh, uh, the 19th of April, 2005, there was a papal election and Pope Benedict, remember Pope Benedict? Pope Benedict was elected, I think it's Pope, is it Francis now? Pope Francis now, before Pope Francis was Pope Benedict. Pope Benedict resigned and Pope Francis took on. But on the 19th of April, 2005, was the papal elections and Pope Benedict was elected as the next Pope of the Catholic Church. Now, about three or four weeks earlier than that, there was a man by the name of Rogers Cadenhead. Has anyone heard of Rogers Cadenhead? Anyone? No. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Rogers Cadenhead. He's quite an intelligent man. He's written a few books and he's into mathematics and computers and stuff. Rogers Cadenhead went out about three weeks before the papal election and he purchased the domain name www.benedictxv116th.com. He went out and he purchased this domain name in the hope that if Benedict gets elected, then they're probably going to want that domain name so I can make a few dollars or whatever off a domain name. And so he goes and registers www.benedictxv1.com and guess what? Three weeks later, Pope Benedict gets elected as the next Pope of the Catholic Church. So he's going, yes. And of course, true to what he thought would happen, the Vatican wanted the domain name. So they contacted him and offered him $20,000 for the domain name. He didn't sell it. You know what he said? He said, I'm happy to give it to you, but here's what I want. Number one, he said, I want a hat like the Pope wears. 
He wanted a hat like the Pope wears. I mean, it doesn't even keep sun off your head. He's still got to walk in a, in a sun-shaded van, but he wanted a hat like the Pope wears. It was his first one. His second condition was, I want a free stay at the Vatican Hotel. I want a hat like the Pope, and I want a free stay at the Vatican Hotel. His third condition was this. I want papal absolution for the third week of March 1987. A hat like the Pope, a free stay at the Vatican Hotel, and papal absolution for the third week of March 1987. Now, for those of you that don't have a a Catholic background or understand what that means, if the Pope himself absolves you of a sin, it is literally as if that moment in your life never happened. You get up from that moment and you walk away absolved by the Pope, meaning it never happened, no shame, no guilt, nothing. You can walk away clean as a whistle because the Pope has absolved you of that. Now, it brings to mind the thought. It it stirs up for me a question. What did Rogers Cadenhead do on the third week of March 1987? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. He ended up donating the website to a charity, um, a charitable company, and he never got his money. And so to this day, nobody knows what actually happened the third week of March 1987 in Roger Cadenhead's life. Whatever it was, he felt like he needed the Pope to wipe the slate clean in 2005. Eight years, maybe. What is it? Seven, eight years. Carrying something. 87. Yeah, 17 years, I said. It must have, microphone must have blacked out. Seven, 17. 17 years. <laughs> 17 years. I wonder what it was. I wonder what happened. I wonder what was going on at that point in his life. It's 17 years later, he's saying, this is the way out. You can keep your 20 grand. Pope, would you just take that moment in time away from me? As if it never happened. Brings me back to the question, I guess. What's my third week of March, 1987? I wonder if anybody in this room, you've got a third week of March, 1987. That thing that you did. That mistake that you made. Those words that you said. Maybe it's the thing you didn't do. And years later, we struggle to break free of it. We know in the back of our mind because when we see the person, when we hear the song, when we see the TV show, when we're alone and we think back to that moment, the regret and the shame and the guilt that's attached to that moment in life is still there. The pain is there. We feel it. So I think a lot of people have still got a third week of March, 1987. I, I, I was downtown this week, me and Jackie and Chloe, we were at a, a particular shop. We were talking to the gentleman at the shop. We know him. And he made this statement. He began to talk about his life and he began to talk about 
where he was right now. He'd been married and, and, and separated and had some you know, kids and was getting on in life and really at that age we're ready to retire and go fishing and do all the things. But he was saying, I can't because of all these things that have gone on in my background now. He said, I'm paying this and I'm fixing that. And I've made, he said, I've made all these mistakes. He said, they're so bad. He said, I find myself waking up in the middle of the night with, with, with shame and regret about these things that have happened in my life. And then he made this statement. He said, I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. And whatever that third week of March is, we know God forgives us, and that's really powerful. But we need to learn to forgive ourselves as well. We need to learn to let go of that stuff and move forward in life. I had a whole message prepared this morning to go down this path. And when I came in this morning, I come in early on Sunday morning, and I come in and I spend a bit of time praying and, and sort of, you know. And I feel like God took me way off track from where I was going. And so I'm going to take you off track with me, all right? But by the time I got through it, I realized God didn't take me off track. He actually pulled me on track because I was probably way off track, if that makes sense. If you've got a Bible there, go with me to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. You know, self-forgiveness is actually a really trendy topic at the moment in pop psychology and stuff. It's really trendy to talk about forgiving yourself and, you know, the whole self-help and, and, and self-motivation industry is booming and, and, and you, you Google self-forgiveness and there's so much stuff that you'll come across and there are books and manuals on self-forgiveness and they'll all, they'll all guarantee you, here's the steps, you've just got to do this, do this, do this, do that, do this, do that. Here's your ten steps, your seven steps, your five steps and so on. And I'm not speaking against any of those things. And I'm not here today as a psychologist to try to say these steps work or that doesn't work. But what I want to do today is, is have a look at what the Bible says. Because here's the interesting thing. The Bible is incredibly silent on the topic of self-forgiveness. It's very silent. There's hardly anything. As a matter of fact, I don't know that you'll find any direct references to self, specifically to self-forgiveness, forgiving self. Lots of references to forgiving other people. Lots of references to, to being forgiven by God. But forgiving self, it's very silent on the topic. But there is this passage, and we all know it. Matthew 22, verse 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, so all these different groups that didn't like Jesus, bottom line, they all gathered together and they came up with a plan. Let's do this and we'll catch him. And they did it. And Jesus was one step ahead all the time they didn't catch him. He'd flip it around and make them look like they didn't know what they were doing. The next group would come along and, they would, and he would flip it around. He was very good at flipping things up on its end and going, hang on a second, you're the crazy one, you're the loony, not me. Uh, he did it a lot. And so the Pharisees had heard that he'd silenced the Sadducees it says they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, he's a smart man. He asks him a question, testing him. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the great commandment? Which is the great commandment? Not commandments. What's the great commandment? In other words, I'm looking for one thing from you, Jesus. I want one thing from you. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Hang on, Jesus, I didn't ask for a second. I just asked you for the greatest. 
Yeah, I know you did, but in order to really appreciate the greatest, the, the greatest and the, the first and second are so interconnected that I can't give you one without the other because they work together. He says, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Then he says this, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, everything in the Old Testament, everything, everything, everything before I came here, everything was pointing towards these two commandments, that you should love God with everything you got and you should love your neighbour as you love yourself. There's three focuses of love in that passage. And the first and foremost is love God. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, your strength. Give God everything. Give him everything because he gave you everything. Love God with absolutely everything you've got. The third one is love your neighbour. The third one is to love your neighbour. It's not second, it was third. He says, what? Love your neighbour as yourself. In other words, the degree to which I love myself is the degree to which I will purely and truly love my neighbour. So if I don't love myself, it's actually very hard to love my neighbour. I can look like I love my neighbour. I can put on the mask. I can do things, charitable deeds for my neighbour. But if I don't love myself, then the love coming out of me for others is going to be somewhat tainted. So love God with everything. Love your neighbour. And the meat and the sandwich is this important principle of loving yourself. Loving self is the linchpin between the two. Loving God and loving others. If I don't love myself, it's not pure love that I'm expressing to other people. I can't because I can only give out what I have inside. Love your neighbour as yourself. Here's what he's saying. He says, I can love others because I love myself. And I love myself because I love God, and it's God that gives human beings their worth and their value. It's God that gives me value and worth. And because God ascribes value and worth to me, I can love me. And because I love me, I can love you. See, here's the real issue when it comes to not forgiving yourself. And I never found this in any of the 12 steps, the five ways. The real issue is not the inability to forgive yourself for a moment in time or an issue. The problem of unforgiveness of self is not about the crime committed, it's about how you see yourself. It's actually about how we see ourselves. The value we ascribe to ourselves. The value that we place upon ourselves. We place too low a value upon ourselves, then we don't value ourselves. We don't love ourselves. And if we don't have value and worth and love for ourselves, how do we have anything to give to other people other than a surface level mask and facade? The real problem is not your inability to forgive yourself. Your real problem is your inability to love yourself. It's your inability to love yourself. Think about it. The degree to which you love someone is the degree to which you can access forgiveness for that person. Think about it. 
Somebody really close to you does something that irks you, bugs you. The more love you have for that person, the greater the will of grace within you to extend to them. Yet another person that you don't love could do the same thing and you would find a much smaller pot to try to find grace and forgiveness for that person. The degree to which you love another human being is the degree to which you extend grace and forgiveness to that human being. The degree to which you do not love a person, then that will of forgiveness and grace is much smaller toward that person. It's human nature. It's human nature. That's why the bond of of family is so strong. That's why husbands and wives can love each other. They can be married for 50 years and one of them perhaps makes a mistake and drifts off. And they come back repentant and that other person can extend forgiveness to a person that's done that. Why? Because the will of love was so big there. Even though trust has been betrayed and so on, the will of love is so big that the, the river of grace is so wide. I have grace in there to reach in for. Let's take that same couple. Let's take them one week into their relationship and you do the same thing. Maybe there's not that big of a will because the love is not there to the degree. They might like each other, but how far will like go? There's a big difference. The degree to which we love somebody is the degree to which we access forgiveness and grace and extend it to them. If we don't love ourselves, then that's the reason why we find it so hard to extend grace and forgiveness to ourselves for our own humanity, for our own mistakes, for our own shortcomings and our own failings. It's all wrapped up in this, the value that you place on human beings. It's all wrapped up on the value that you place upon yourself. The issue is not the issue. Your inability to love yourself enough to forgive yourself, that's the issue. You see, God loved us first, he forgave us second. Is it true? God loved humanity first, he forgave humanity second. Otherwise, what you're saying is up until Genesis 3, God didn't actually love humanity. He had to have something to forgive them for before he loved them. And we all know that's heresy. God loved first, forgave second. Because forgiveness is a byproduct, an overflow of love. When I love somebody, the overflow of grace and forgiveness that extends to them, it's coming out of the love I have for that person. And when I have no love and no grace for myself, for my shortcomings, my failures, I've got to look inside and go, well, the issue is not the issue. The issue is my own self-value, my own self-worth. How do I see myself? How do I see myself? Do I love myself enough to extend forgiveness to myself? Do I love myself enough to have grace upon myself? We camp around the issue thinking that's the problem. Here's what happens sometimes. When you've made a mistake, whatever Rogers Cadenhead did back then, guess what? It was done. It was done. He can't go back 17 years in time and undo what was done. But you've got to be able to let go what happened 17 years ago and move forward in life. But you can't do that if you think the issue is the issue because the issue can't change. It happened. So if I'm thinking the issue is the issue and I'm focused on the issue, I'm forever trapped. I'm forever bound because I can't take it back. I did the crime. I did the thing. I said the words. But I've got to move beyond that. But if the issue is the issue, I'm trapped. But if I can get my eyes off the issue and realise it's not the issue, it's me. How do I see myself? 
Because if God forgives me, why can't I forgive myself? See, I don't think, I don't think we talk about loving ourselves enough. And I think that's because we're afraid. We're Christians. We talk about denying ourselves, not loving ourselves. We're about denying ourselves. Let me tell you something. If going hard after Jesus and denying myself is not the absolute maximum idea of loving myself, I don't know what else is. If following Jesus is not the ultimate way of loving myself by giving everything I have to him, I don't actually know what loving myself actually is. It's not getting a bigger house, a bigger car. It's not uh, you know, getting a, a bigger bank account or whatever. That's, that's not... You know, pampering myself and all that sort of stuff and getting my nails done and my hair done and buying myself new boots and that, that's all expressions and parts of. But I think sometimes we're afraid to talk about loving ourselves, yet Jesus made it very key. You need to love your neighbour like you love yourself. In other words, the starting point is yourself. How do you see yourself? Let's talk about that. What do you think about yourself? How much value and worth do you place on yourself? Because at the very core of your being, that's about as much value and worth as you're going to place on others. You might look like you're expressing it beautifully, but deep down on the inside of you, what is the human value? What is the value of you as a human being? And Jesus thinks you have great value. God loved us first. He forgave us second, not the other way around. Love came first. Forgiveness was a byproduct of that. See, not forgiving yourself is a form of self-punishment. Not forgiving yourself is just a form of self-punishment. The, the, the word that the Catholic Church would use is penance. You're just trying to perform penance. God, if I punish myself long enough, then maybe I'll be worthy to forgive myself. I've, got to, I've sentenced myself. I'm the judge. God, you might have said what I did and you've forgiven. That's fine, but I'm going you know, to punish myself, God. I, I don't believe it should be that easy, God. Hang on a second. It wasn't easy. A man died on a cross. So you could have that forgiveness. It wasn't easy. Not forgiving yourself is a form of self-punishment. It's a religious ritual called penance. The dictionary uh, definition of penance is this. Punishment inflicted on oneself as an outward expression of repentance for wrongdoing. Repentance is not enough. Now I've got to inflict some kind of punishment on myself. So what I'm going to do is go through the rest of my life and say I'm not worthy of being happy. And I go through the rest of my life and say, I'm not worthy to meet another man or another woman because I made this mistake in a previous marriage or or whatever. I can't can't be successful in business because I blew it back here and I made some bad choices. I can never have a good relationship with my kids because I I treated them bad when they were little, so I'm going to keep punishing myself throughout the rest of their existence just to prove to them I am sorry. And in doing so, I never get what I want anyway because I never end up with that good relationship. I never end up with a successful business, a good marriage. I never end up with any of this stuff, not because God doesn't want to give it to you, not because it's not available to you, but because you won't give yourself the value and the second chance you deserve because you won't let it go because you will not let it go. You've got to learn to let it go. Why do I need to forgive myself just as we finish up? I want to tell you three reasons why you need to learn to forgive yourself. Number one, because somebody else is depending on it. Someone else is depending on it. Romans 8, 28 says this, And we know that all things, say that word, all things, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know God has a plan for your mistake? God has a plan for your mistake. And it's to take that mistake and turn it into something good. It's to take that negative thing that you think is a roadblock in your life and he just wants to turn that roadblock into a speed bump where you just cruise over the top of it and you go. 
He wants to turn it into a launching pad for something. He takes those negative situations, those negative moments, those mistakes that you've made, and if you let him, he turns them around, unless, of course, you think that your mistake is outside the realm of all. In which case, okay, I'm with you, I I feel sorry for you, I'll pray for you, but I'm going to have a guess, a stab in the dark, and say every mistake, every bad deed, every bad word, everything you've done that is wrong, that in your brain is holding you back, everything there comes under the banner of the word all. Would I be correct in saying that? Okay, then God has the capacity to take all things, not just the good things, not just the half mistakes, he can take the worst thing and turn it around and use it for his glory and the benefit of somebody else. That's what God does. He's in the recycling business. He takes your stuff, he recycles it, and he sends it back out, repackaged, refabricated, and does something great and useful and purpose-filled with it. Think about your life. How many mistakes have you got? How many testimonies have you got of mistakes you've made, things you've done wrong, where you thought this is the end of the world, but you've been able somewhere in my mind, God has allowed you to sit down with another person and go, hey, guess what? You're not going to believe this. Similar thing happened to me once, and here's what happened. And you shared that story with that person, and they took a little ray of sunshine out of that. And maybe they took a little bit of faith out of that, a little bit of courage out of your experience. Well, we can make it. We've got a man over here that that was diagnosed with cancer not too long ago. God did a miracle. Clean. What an amazing testimony. I'll guarantee you that there will be people... Exactly. It's awesome. Now, what happens when somebody is diagnosed with cancer and I sit there and go, yeah, well, God, well, hang on a second. I've never had it. Um, but you know, I reckon he can. I reckon he can heal, and it's all true. But what do you think happens when you got a person here that's been through the fire, walked through it, and goes, "You know what? Let me tell you something. This is not theory for me. It's actual experience. I came out the other end. Here's what God can do." God takes that ugly, negative situation and he flips it, and he gets a bit of glory out of it. I ran away from God when I was a young kid. When I say young kid, as you know, I got saved at 19. About 2021, 20, I did a complete runner from God. Some of you know the story. Some of you don't. It's irrelevant. I literally did a backflip. Here I was, a minister, a missionary in a third world, supported by people preaching in churches. And then over the course of a couple of months, I decided God's a load of bollocks and I want nothing to do with him. And I left the country I was working in, didn't tell anybody, came home, got involved in all kinds of lifestyle stuff that God set me free from originally. And I look back at that moment in my life and I can tell you that is the most regretful thing I think I've ever done. I've done some... Things, but I reconcile a lot of things, but I can't reconcile that. How can I have experienced what I experienced in God, yet turned my back on Him and been so vocal against Him? How could I have done that? But I did it. But you know what's beautiful now? I get to stand in front of churches here and, and I go and speak at different places and, and, and I, I get groups of young people who are just about to go out on the mission field. I'm blessed to go into YWAM schools and I can be there with 100, 150 kids from all around the world and I get to share that story with them. And I have kids coming up with tears in their eyes, giving their lives to Christ in, in, in meetings like that because they're going, I finally understand what faith is. You see, I didn't really understand faith. And then I had this ugly thing and came out the other end and really solidified my faith. And I get people coming up now weeping to me when I share that story, going, wow, I understand faith now. And, and, and I go, praise God, the worst, most shameful thing that I think I've been involved in, the thing that clings to me the most that makes me feel all the time like, when's it going to happen again? Alan, when are you going to do it again? You can't be trusted. You've done it once. When are you going to do it again? And yet somehow God took that, flipped it up, and he uses it for good now. I get to minister that story to other people. And everybody in this room here, you've got testimonies of things you've been through where God flips it up on its end and he uses it for his glory. 
Why should you let go of it? Why should you forgive yourself? Because there's somebody else depending on you making it through. There's somebody waiting to hear about your story of how you let it go and you moved on. Somebody needs to hear it. So don't keep hanging on to it. You've got to move through it because somebody else is depending on it. The second reason why I need to forgive myself, because your future depends on it. Your future depends on you letting it go. There's this guy in the Bible called Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He writes to the churches, a group of churches in a city called Philippi, and here's what he says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 15. This is Paul's words. He says, Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected. In other words, I'm still on journey, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid a hold of me. In other words, God grabbed a hold of me for a reason and I'm just going to keep walking and keep walking and keep walking until I find that thing that he laid a hold of me for because he grabbed me for a reason. He saved me for a purpose. He's got a plan. He says, I'm just going to keep on walking. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I get things wrong. I don't know everything, but I'm just going to keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. This is what he's saying. And then he says this. He says, brothers... I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing. Let me put it in English. I don't know a lot of stuff, but in my whole journey with God, I'm just going to tell you there's only one thing I really know. This is what he's saying in English. I know one thing. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You're talking about a man who killed people. When Paul came to faith in Jesus, the little girl whose mum and dad he sent off to be murdered didn't get her parents back. She didn't get her parents back. Praise God, Paul, you're a Christian now, but where's my mum and dad? See, forgiveness, forgiving yourself is not erasing the consequences necessarily, but it's allowing yourself to still walk forward even though you might have to trudge through some consequences, but it's giving yourself permission to move away from the event and start walking forward. Not every consequence is erased just because I forgive myself. Just because Jesus forgave me, it didn't erase a lot of the consequences of stupid choices I made. But it set me free from those things so I could move forward. And when you don't forgive yourself, you tie yourself to the moment and you can't move forward. And Paul says, in all my journeys with God, seeing healings, miracles, signs and wonders, planning churches, raising the dead, um, having revelation from heaven, writing the... He said, there's only one thing I can say with absolute 100% clarity and it's this. If you want to go forward, let go of the past. Let it go. Why should you forgive yourself? Because your future depends on it. Your future depends on your ability to forgive yourself and to let it go. And thirdly, why should you forgive yourself? Because God does. And are you greater than him? Hear my heart when I say this. There's an underlying arrogance about thinking my sin is so unique. It's so powerful that the forgiveness of God is even not enough. Who do I think I am? If John Mayer walked into this room right now, who knows John Mayer, the singer? Everyone know the singer? Great guitarist. Fantastic. Imagine if John Mayer walked into this room right now and he was here during worship. And you overheard a conversation when John Mayer came up on the stage and he grabbed Daniel and he said, Man, 
You're killing it, man. You're doing awesome. It's wonderful, man. You're, you're going awesome. Keep going. You're right on to that. The way you're holding the guitar, the, the, it's, it's great. I can see that you, you, know, you still feel like you've got room to go. Yeah, but I'm telling you, man, you're playing that thing. It's awesome. You're going fantastic. And then I walk over and go, oh, thanks for the encouragement, John. That's great. But, but um, Daniel, you're not holding it properly, actually. Sorry, John, I know you've made a few dollars playing guitar, but you're not. You've got you to adjust the strap a bit. And this picking thing, you know, grow your nails, would you? <laughs> Who do you think he should listen to? Who do you think he should be taking his advice from? Who should be the dominant voice in that conversation? I would think the guy that knows the most about what he's talking about. When I'm sitting here going, I can't forgive myself for that sin, for that event, for that moment, for that word, for that inability, for that whatever, and yet I believe God in heaven is pronouncing me forgiven, who should I be listening to? You should forgive yourself because He has. He has pronounced you forgiven. Stop punishing yourself. Somebody is waiting for you to let go of the past so they can live, so they can succeed because of your testimony. Your future is waiting up ahead for you. Your future is calling to you saying, let it go, it's not worth it. You're going to get to the end of your day and you're going to look back and you go, what did all that self-punishment achieve? All it did is it kept me from having another great relationship. It kept me from stepping out in faith and trying something again. It kept me from launching a new business. It kept me from loving my kids and receiving their love. It kept me from that new job. It kept me. It kept me. It kept me. It kept me. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I don't know what your 3rd of March, 1987 is. But I know human nature enough to know that most of us have probably got one. I want to challenge you this morning. It's a choice now on your part. You see, you are forgiven of God. You're forgiven by God. You're blessed, you're loved of God. You have value, you have worth. Sometimes I think we feel guilty for being human. Sometimes we, 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 some of us have just got to forgive ourselves for simply being human beings. You set the bar so high. You expect perfection. You don't have to forgive yourself for being human. But if we don't forgive ourselves, then we hold ourselves back to a moment. I don't care if it's 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. If it's 100 years ago, you guys are looking fantastic. But if we don't forgive ourselves and we don't let it go, then you will die never having set foot in the promised land of your future that God has for you. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. I'm the meat and the sandwich. Do I love myself? I know God loves me. 
I know God loves you too. Father, I pray for each person here this morning, Lord. God, teach us what it means in a healthy, biblical way to love ourselves. Lord, we, there's no point arguing with you. Lord, you said that we are called to love our neighbour in the same fashion, the same way that we love ourselves. And God, we talk so much about loving our neighbours. We put so much responsibility on ourselves to, to, to do the right thing, to give grace to others. God, we, we, we strain and we strive at times to give grace and forgiveness and love and, and good words and affirmations and all that stuff to others. Yet, we largely do neglect ourselves. And I see in this commandment, Lord, a call. Don't neglect yourself anymore. If you're my people, you should love yourself. And you can love yourself because I've given you value and I've given you worth. So, Father, thank you for the value and the worth that you've placed upon us, Lord. I pray for each person here. Lord, whatever that third week of March is, God, I I pray right now for each person that has that thing. I pray, Holy Spirit, bust through into their world right now. Break the chains. Break off those shackles of the past. God, I I thank you that you have declared them forgiven already. Lord, help them put distance and space between the issue and themselves. Lord, if there are things they need to do, an apology that needs to be made, restoration that needs to take place, Father, I pray speak to people here. And Lord, once they have done anything that you may require of us to do, give us the grace and the power and the faith to turn away and to take that first step in a new direction towards a new future. Lord, I pray as everyone travels home this uh, weekend, Lord, after church, keep everybody safe on the roads. And Father, in the next seven days, I pray everyone here, give us a chance to tell somebody out there about the wonderful goodness of God. Lord, somebody that right now is struggling with that issue, right now does not understand their worth and their value, let us tell someone. God, let us tell someone about you in the next seven days. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Awesome. Well, you know what I'm going to do? We're, gonna, we're finished up now, but I'm going to hang around up the front here because I don't know that there's not some people here that, that, that wouldn't, I wouldn't like to pray for this morning. Um, so we're just going to hang around up the front so you feel free to grab a coffee or a cake and head off but we're going to wait up here because I I feel like there's probably some people here that I'd I'd like to pray for this morning you're struggling with that you hear what I'm saying you're probably amending everything I'm saying but you're struggling with it I'd love to pray with you today because that's one of the benefits of following Jesus is he empowers us to not only do all this wonderful stuff out there but he empowers us to forgive ourselves let go of our past and move forward into our future Amen bless you guys